there. Welcome to the Female Empowerment Podcast. My name is Carly, and I'm a big believer in actively bringing about more goodness to our communities. It feels good to know that we're not alone and that someone else out there has experienced the same challenge we're facing now. Whether those challenges are related to business, motherhood, or general life as a woman, this podcast is a platform that I've created to allow women to share their inspirational stories and greatest business tips to help make your day just a little bit better and your life just a little bit easier. Keep listening to learn from our amazing guest of the day and be sure to share this episode with a friend. Today on the podcast, we're talking with psychotherapist and women's empowerment coach, Lucia DiVieste. Lucia is the face behind Be Brave Psychotherapy. She specializes in using dance, movement, and drama therapy to help women connect their thoughts and beliefs to their physical expressions. As an expert in the mental health challenges of anxiety and depression, Lucia helps her clients to embrace and walk with fear, especially those fears and beliefs that keep women stuck in smaller roles with lower expectations for themselves. Keep listening to learn from Lucia and how we can recognize and challenge our unhealthy beliefs about ourselves so that ultimately we can experience a more satisfying life and make a greater positive impact on those around us. Hello, friends. It's so nice to be together again for this episode of the Female Empowerment Podcast. My guest today is Lucia DiVieste Sievertson, and she's a psychotherapist. I am really excited to have her here on the show with me today because. I believe that she brings a really unique perspective to the table, especially when it comes to thinking about our personal beliefs, especially as women, and how our personal beliefs can be really limiting, and we may not even know it. So she's going to talk to us a little bit about some of those beliefs that we may have that have been given to us from society, from our roles in our families, and things like that, and help us to know whether or not there's something that needs to be challenged, and if they are, how we can go about doing that. So without further ado, I introduce to you, Lucia. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I was really excited when you reached out to me because I really do feel like this is a good conversation to have. Would you mind telling us a little bit about how you got started and what you do and how you came to the decision to specialize in this part of your industry? Yeah, I've been practicing psychotherapy for 14 years now. I've been in private practice since 2014 when my son was born, my first child. I had been working in community mental health before that with agencies, seeing families in their homes, families of children with mental health disorders, autism, things like that, and just doing family therapy with them. And when my son was born, I realized I did not want to go back to work full time. So I decided to get some mentorship and start my own practice, even if it was just part time. So I was with my son during the day and then at night, I would see clients and I saw anybody and everybody basically in my private practice. I saw children, I saw adults, you know, with really all types of disorders, all backgrounds. But as the years went by and we had another child, my daughter was born four years ago. Two years after she was born, I actually ended up having my own mental health challenges. I ended up having a really debilitating episode of anxiety. And when I say debilitating, I mean, like that quote in the DSM (laughs) that says, 
a person cannot function, right? I can't do daily functioning. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't take care of my children. I didn't sleep. I slept maybe one or two hours a night for probably about nine months. I couldn't be a therapist, obviously, failing as a wife. And so I finally had to admit that I needed help and I wasn't going to be able to solve it by myself, which was sort of humiliating as a psychotherapist. And I also had to admit that I have obsessive compulsive disorder, which I had never admitted to myself before. I always knew that I had it, but it never interfered with my functioning because I'm such an optimist, I think, normally. And so I think that that always outranked the OCD tendencies. So I've always had these tendencies to perform little rituals, these thoughts that something bad would happen if I didn't do them. And I sort of just rolled with it all my life. I, I rolled with it and I didn't think much of it. I just thought, oh, this is kind of a silly quirk I have about myself. But when it came to what happened in February, I had to really admit to my husband, I, I have OCD because he didn't even know. He had, had no idea that I did rituals, any of it. Nobody knew. I hit it from everyone. And so I went to see a specialist who specialized in OCD. In fact, I still see her. And within about two months, I started feeling better and I, I was getting better, but not out of the woods. And I would say it took me a full year to get out of the woods. And I would say I still have one of my feet maybe in the woods and one out right now. It's, you know, I think that this is going to be a, a lifelong process for me and one that has been hard to accept. I think it was heartbreaking for me to feel like, oh my gosh, I have a mental health disorder, right? And admit that as a therapist. But now I, I feel that it has also been a great gift because it's helped me to face fears. The treatment for OCD is all about facing your fears. It is all about coming up close to them, exposing yourself to them, not avoiding them anymore, and really learning to tolerate that anxiety and letting it decrease slowly over time. And so as I did this work, I started to become inspired how this might help other women to move through their own blocks, like, and how much fear really does block us from just trying new things. I mean, even the simplest things sometimes, like maybe even if you want to take a cooking class, I mean, it's just like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I can't do that. Or I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. That's a, another thing that a lot of us say, I think, which is really just fear masked, you know, excuses are often fear masked. And so I decided that I was going to change my whole practice, focus on treating women with anxiety and depression. I was going to use the techniques and tools that I learned in my own therapy, along with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really looking at people's patterns of thoughts, their core beliefs about themselves, and uncovering those and finding ways to change that because a lot of those aren't serving us, the beliefs we have about ourselves. And a lot of them aren't true. So I also decided that I would combine that with dance movement therapy and drama therapy because I am a, a dance movement therapist and I was also an actor many moons ago, many years ago. So I decided to combine that treatment with the traditional psychotherapy so that getting through fear, moving up 
close to fear could be more embodied. And also so that women could get a better sense of who they really are. We tend to cut off our bodies and our heads and have no idea like how much wisdom our bodies have. So I help women to look at their movement patterns. I help them to look at what roles they've taken on and how they're physically taking on those roles and learning to expand their repertoire of who they can be, mind and body. I know that doesn't do it justice, but that's sort of a summary of what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. I just want to step back and say thank you so much for sharing about your vulnerable moments with us and giving us a sense of what you've experienced and how that's really shaped where you are now. I can imagine that that was very difficult to work through, especially as a therapist yourself and being able to admit that you need help and then going through the treatment that's required to help overcome some of these challenges that you faced. I think that's really incredible. And I just wanted to say that. But I also am glad that you brought up the dance and movement therapy because I was really curious about what that looks like. Can you give us an example of maybe what one activity might look like? Sure. I think when I say dance movement therapy, I just want to be transparent in that I know that that usually makes most people go, oh, (laughs) I don't know if I would want to try that, right? (laughs) Because I think that there's this thing about getting into our bodies that can feel intimidating. So dance movement therapy isn't all about dancing. Actually, I don't have people prancing around the room or anything like that. I really start very slow with my clients. We start with body awareness. We start with tracking body sensations. Oftentimes, I will start with simple body scans just so people start getting into the practice of feeling into every part of their body from their toes up to their head, you know, and and that alone can be really revealing of like, wow, I, I didn't realize I have sensations there. I had no idea I was holding so much tension there or I didn't realize I had such a nervous stomach, you know, so there can be a lot of self-awareness just in doing that. And some of what I have the women do is start to voice what they're feeling in their bodies. I'm really big about women using voice to self-express because I think that it increases confidence and self-awareness. So I, I often will have them track. My heart is beating really fast. My breathing is really shallow now. I'm trying to take in more air, you know, just really tracking what's going on with them. And through that, a lot of times they will launch into a monologue of like, you know what, I I had a really crappy day today. <laughs> That's why my heart is beating fast. This thing happened to me today, right? Like, so it, it becomes more of this story just from being able to get into the, the body And from there, I work on uh, power poses, confidence, how to align your body so that you aren't contracting so much anymore. Many of us are contracting and we don't realize it. And there are a lot of psychological effects from contracting our bodies. And when I say contracting, I mean like slouching, right? You know, if you exaggerate that and you slouch, there's a certain emotional feeling to that. And there are thoughts that will also align with that as well. But if you learn to start aligning your body, getting your spine into correct position, there's also a different psychology with that. 
I don't know if you're familiar with Amy Cuddy. She's a dance therapist and she did a TED talk about this, about power poses, right? And how important showing up with your body is to your psyche. And, and it really is, if, if you align yourself, there's a completely different psychology that comes with being more engaged with the world than slouching. And there's also a different voice that comes with that too, a more confident, louder voice that can come with that as well. So that's an, that's also another very basic thing I teach my clients and I teach all my clients that. And then from there, you know, a lot of it becomes about using metaphor. How does that belief make you feel that you're not enough? What images come to mind? You know, if you think that about yourself. Uh, well, I think about when my teacher in third grade told me I couldn't dance, right? I, that I sucked. <laughs> And, and okay, so let's think about that a little bit more and how that lands in your body. Like, oh, that lands like in my sternum right now when I feel that. And so I might have them start moving from their sternum, just move a little bit from that and get a sense of movement from that. And oftentimes we'll start just expanding from that movement, right? And then transforming it into like, what do you want to say to that teacher now? <laughs> you know, that told you you've sucked, right? Like, what can you say now to her just from that, that movement? What do you feel inspired to say? And, you know, oftentimes the anger will start coming out, right? Which is another thing that I think women back away from so many times, right? That's not me. I'm not that person. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're angry. We're all angry. And it's important to move that through. Anyway, I know this is a long <laughs> explanation of that, but that's just some examples. I feel like every question I had, you answered it and we just kept going. I find it so fascinating that your thoughts and beliefs can impact how you feel physically or vice versa, how you act physically can impact your thoughts and beliefs. And I think it's something that is not talked about very much, but I feel like it's an idea that's starting to come forth a little bit more and be a little bit more accepted. People are talking about it a little bit more, but at least for me in my social circles, I don't hear about it very much, but it's so interesting to me. I'd love to hear from your perspective about how women could be limiting themselves with their beliefs because of how they've been brought up or their roles like in society and in their family. I would love to hear more about that from you. Yeah. So the role that we take on in our family is something that naturally happens. That happens in all families. Everyone has their own role and everyone sort of has their own job in a family. Families run like machines. They always say in family therapy, it's like an assembly line. Everybody has their role and everybody has their job. So that's just something that you can't really fight <laughs> a lot of times. But the thing about it is that the role that we are given and take on from our parents can be very limiting. You know, sometimes you may be more of a caretaker in your family, or you may be a black sheep. <laughs> you know, we as children base our perceptions of ourselves on how our parents feel about us and what they think of us. And of course we do because we need to survive. And as little people, we need to make sure that the big people feel good about us, right? That's just a basic survival. And so we need to take on the role that they give us. But as we grow and we become more adult and members of society, we also start to get a lot of messages about how we should be behaving, particularly how we should be behaving as women. 
And that comes with a lot of conflicting messages because it keeps changing and it has become so wide and so vast that I think most women are confused about who exactly they should be and how they should be showing up in the world because you should be doing everything perfectly. I think is (laughs) the message that a lot of us get. And not only should you be doing everything perfectly, you should look perfect and it should all just come naturally to you flawlessly, you know? So um, I think that our combination of what we're given from our families, plus the combination of the messages that society gives us just wraps us in this kind of bubble wrap of needing to be unwrapped (laughs) and being very limited in what we're capable of and what we can accomplish. Our standards for ourselves become so low. You know, those fantasies and crazy dreams that you maybe had as a child, those all go away, right? Because it's like, oh, those are just childhood fantasies. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe those things are possible. But again, we are so wrapped in that bubble wrap that it seems like a fantasy. So I like to open those fantasies back up for women and say, why not? You know, why couldn't you? And well, it's often like, I don't have time or that's just not me. I couldn't do something like that. That's a huge financial risk. And you know, all of that is fear. It's all fear. And so I really help women to realize the role that they're taking on and then be able to question some of those beliefs about themselves, those thoughts. Who told you that? Is that even yours? Or did you get that message about yourself? Wow, that is so interesting. It makes me think, do we lower our standards because it's easier to meet those smaller standards? And is it because we're fearful (laughs) of what'll happen if we really try to go for it? It gives me a lot to think about. I know that something that you really specialize in is the idea of walking with fear and facing fear and anxiety. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that and maybe give an example of a practice that you would use to help or like a tip for someone who is about to embrace something that's really scary for them and something that they could do to help work their way through it? There's so many fears that we hold. One fear is setting boundaries with people in our lives. That's often a big one that comes up in sessions with my clients. I think the baby step in that is not going from zero to 60, but really going, okay, so how can we take a baby step here in you exposing yourself a little more to this fear of what could happen if you tell your mother that you don't want to talk about politics with her anymore? (laughs) That's a big one that's been coming up. And the client might say, she'll just make me feel terrible about myself. She'll scream at me. She'll yell at me. I can't take that. And so, you know, the exposure might be to to practice, to, to really practice visualizing that, right? Like, this is what's going to happen when I do this. I'm going to call her and I'm going to talk about this and she's going to scream at me. And I'm going to feel really terrible. And as you're doing that, you're exposing yourself to the anxiety just by thinking about it, right? And so you're allowing yourself to feel it, to tolerate it. And as you do that, the anxiety will raise and raise and raise. And then it will eventually come back down. That's what happens with anxiety. It's just that 
most of us avoid it so much that we don't let ourselves get to the tippy top of it where it can come back down. And this is not avoidance. This is really putting yourself in the position. This is what's going to happen. Yes. Oh my God. I'm going to feel terrible. Yes, you will. I feel terrible now. Yes, you do. <laughs> we're practicing. We're practicing the, the dumbbells of anxiety here to get your muscles going with this so that you can tolerate it and realize too that, okay, yeah, that's going to happen and I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die from that. I'm going to move on or I can say something, you know, it's just these little risks we can take that we make into these huge elaborate stories of all the terrible things that could happen to us. Yeah, that can happen to you, but you'll never know if you don't move with it, right? If you don't become stronger. Thank you for explaining that process. I feel like when I listen to you explain things, it all makes so much sense. You have a beautiful gift of being able to explain large concepts really simply in a way that doesn't feel intimidating, but feels like really possible and very inspiring. So I really appreciate that about you. I wanted to go back a little bit to standards that women have. And I was wondering where would we start when it comes to raising our standards? Because I feel like it's easier maybe after listening to this podcast to recognize, oh, maybe my standards are lower, but where do I begin to try to raise them? And can I really do it? I feel like it does bring up a lot of fear, which we also just talked about. But what would you recommend? Raising your standards is scary. It really is because it's a huge risk and you could face a lot of judgment in doing that. You're changing the way that people experience you. You know, everyone in our lives has sort of like the snapshot of us, of how they see us and they perceive us. And so when you start doing that and you change your standards for what you should expect from other people and expect from relationships, whether they're personal or professional, people may start to wonder what the heck is going on. And some people will be accepting and be more of a cheerleader for you in that. And, and some people won't like it and they'll challenge you even more and want you to back down from that. And so it's becoming really clear of how you're being treated now in your personal and professional lives. You know, what are those relationships like? What are the things that you love about those relationships and what are the things that really are not so great and bother you and you would like to change. So I, I try to dig with my clients in that and in writing a list of their expectations for healthy relationships, whether that be in work or in personal relationships, what should you be expecting? And the list is usually very small. I find with most clients, they aren't expecting much. And then when I tell them, well, what about this? What if your boss just asked you if you wanted to do this project instead of demanded that you do it? And usually they're like, well, is that possible? Yes, it is possible that you can have a boss that treats you in a manner that is respectful. I think that sometimes we, as women, we're given these crumbs from the table and we just sort of get used to it and expect it. And, and we don't question it. Like, wait a minute, I didn't get a whole muffin. I got the crumbs, <laughs> you know? So I think that we need to start really looking at our lives and being more cognizant of that. Like, yeah, that person really hurt my feelings and I didn't say anything about it, right? It's like, oh, that's okay. I'm just making a big deal out of it. That's okay. No, it's not. What would you like instead? You can ask for what you would like. That's really thought-provoking. 
Are you currently doing in-person sessions? I am, yes. I find that I love doing the in-person sessions. I'm open to telehealth, but with the dance movement and drama therapy, it feels more intimate if it's in person. Yeah, that makes sense. I know a lot of currently, anyways, when this podcast is released, a lot of the listeners will be based in the Utah, Arizona, and even Denver region. So how should they go about getting in contact with you? Is it better to reach you through your website or through social media? Where can we find you? Yeah, through my website, bebravewomen.com. You can schedule a 30-minute free consultation on that website. And I do free consultations with all my prospective clients just so I can better understand your needs and what you would like to work towards and how I can be of best help. So that would be the first step is is getting on the website and making that appointment for the 30-minute consultation. Excellent. Thank you. We'll put your website and your social media links. We'll put those in the show notes so our listeners can go to find you there as well. But I just wanted to genuinely thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us and sharing your perspective on these topics. I found them very enlightening and I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Female Empowerment Podcast. I truly appreciate you being here, and I would love it if you shared this amazing episode with a friend. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at brandingforwomen.com or send me a message on Instagram. My handle is at brandingforwomen. See you next time.